Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you for being here to worship with us at the Vista. We are always glad you've chosen to spend part of your Sunday morning with us. Um, hopefully, you know, you're staying out of the 127 degree weather. Uh, we are glad to give you a little break inside for a little bit. Um, before we get into our text this morning and continue in our summer series, um, I mentioned this last week, but this month we are highlighting our discipleship pathway. Um, that is, of course, something we put together years ago. And the goal behind that is to take people from sort of the casual follower of Jesus, uh, maybe someone that sort of steps into the doors and, and, and first time in church, um, all the way to what it, you know, being a fully devoted, more mature follower of Jesus. Uh, our call in Scripture is to make disciples. And so how are we doing at that? And that, that is what the discipleship pathway is all about. And what we've said is, if you'll commit yourselves to those things, the, the five uh, sort of pillars of our discipleship pathway, worship, connect, give, serve, and go, you will position yourself to be someone who um, grows in Christ-likeness. And so last week, I, I kind of emphasized worship. Uh, today, I want to just emphasize connect for a minute. We talk a lot about connection, the importance of connection. We talk about small groups and Bible studies. You hear us sort of beat that drum all the time here. And here's why. Um, I know that in a larger church, connection is, is even more important because it's, it's very possible to sort of attend the Vista or any large church and just sort of blend in. Like you can do that. You can literally just show up. We got three services. You can sit somewhere different. You may not even see the same people week in and week out. It is possible to, to be here and just sort of blend in. But if you're going to really grow in Christ's likeness and become more of a disciple, then connection with other believers is going to be really, really important for you, right? So that's part of the reason we, we sort of challenge you and push you to that is because, again, when God wants to really change someone's life, it usually happens within the context of community, a smaller group of people over time. I know we all love instantaneous change. We're all like, there's things that I want to change, and we would like to wake up tomorrow, and those things are all different. It rarely works that way, right? It usually is in the context of other people around us over a longer period of time that we begin to see growth and change. And so, again, I know you can come and you can blend, but we want more for you than that. We don't want you to come and to just blend in. Uh, we want you to find community here. And so the second sort of part of our discipleship pathway is about connection, uh, small groups, Bible studies, getting in community. If you need help with that, right after the service over here in our next steps area, uh, there are people over there who'll be happy to talk with you about what it means for you to connect and help you find a group or, or somewhere to get started, all right? Connect, really important. This morning, we are continuing in our summer series called A Shared Gospel. Uh, and again, if you're visiting with us or you're new, uh, we are taking a look. It's, uh, it's kind of character studies throughout the summer. We are specifically looking at people, individuals, who were um, friends, ministry partners uh, with the Apostle Paul. We're all familiar with Paul. He was kind of a big deal in the New Testament. But Paul, again, he never did anything alone. He never traveled alone. He never preached alone. He never planted churches alone. There was always people around him that helped him do the work God had laid out for him to do. Today, we're going to look at the life of a woman named Lydia, okay? Her story is found in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, if you want to begin to turn there, as we're doing these character studies throughout the summer, the other thing we're trying to do is highlight various ministries and volunteers here at our church that help us do the work of ministry. This morning, I specifically wanted to recognize our kids' volunteers and our special needs team. 
We have uh, some very faithful, very dedicated people that show up week in and week out to help minister to children. Many of you, you may have kids over there right now. Uh, They are, uh, again, kind of being engaged with some high energy, fun activities, learning the Bible. Um, Ultimately, they are there to help point your kids to Jesus. And so... um, uh, also, our special needs uh, team, uh, again, it's just a, it's an awesome team that's established that, that, again, meets with people that come that have special needs, and they have classes, and they, they engage them, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful ministry here. And so I know I, having three of my own that have been through and are going through the kids' uh, ministry team, I am super grateful for those, for those kids' uh, workers and volunteers. That way we don't have a whole bunch of them in here today, right? They're back there learning about Jesus. It's awesome. Um, so if we could just give our kids' volunteers and our special needs team a hand this morning. They are unbelievably faithful. We said from day one as a church that if we were gonna be a church that reached young people, we better have something for kids and we better do that well. And I know Ross and his team do a fantastic job uh, with our kids' ministry. And so as you, if you go back there today to pick up your, your children, um, let, let the teacher of their classes just, just say how much you appreciate them and thank them for what they do. Again, we're looking at a woman named Lydia today. She is a little different than some of the other characters that we have looked at and are looking at this summer. Lydia didn't travel with the Apostle Paul. Uh, she didn't, you know, help him write any of his letters um, as far as we know, she didn't hold or we're not aware of a, any sort of a specific uh, title or authority uh, or position that she officially held within, within the local church. She may have, we just don't really know that for sure. Um, what we see from Lydia is just a faithful woman who was a, a really uh, pivotal and a, sort of a catalyst for the church in Philippi, okay? Um, she was a really important part of the church in Philippi, um, In fact, the church in Philippi, if you read all the letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament, you'll notice the tone of the letter to the church in Philippi, the Philippians letter. It's just different than the others. In all the other letters Paul writes, he's usually writing to them, all these churches, and at some point in the letter, he's trying to correct some false teaching. He's trying to correct some false ideology or some practice that they're doing that's not right. Uh, He's trying to, you know, rebuke them for a lack of unity or something going on in the church. He's trying to sort of set it straight. But in Philippians, you don't have that. In Philippians, it's really the tone of affection and encouragement. That's all it is. He's not writing to get onto them, to rebuke them, to correct them. Apparently, they were a really good church. and, And Paul had a particular affinity for the church in Philippi. And Lydia was, again, a big, big part of that church growing and thriving. So we're going we're gonna to read about her story today in Acts chapter 16. Um, this is kind of backing up. Last week, we talked about Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail, uh, praying and singing hymns, uh, the, the, the earthquake that takes place, the jailer and his whole family get saved. We're backing up just before that when Paul and his, his team arrive there in Philippi, all right? Uh, Paul is on his second missionary journey. He is traveling with, uh, again, a small team. It, it wasn't just Paul. It wasn't even just Paul and Silas. It was Paul and Silas, and then a guy named Timothy. We're going to look at him next week. He was kind of a young protege of the Apostle Paul. Um, There was another guy with him named Luke. We're going to look at Luke in a few weeks. Luke, um, he was a doctor. Uh, He was a historian. Um, And so we'll look at Luke. There may have been others traveling with him. It's a a small mission team, and they are taking the gospel uh, from Asia Minor, kind of where they've been, and they're trying to get the gospel now into Europe. Okay, Philippi was kind of their first attempt at getting the gospel into Europe. Philippi was an important city. 
it, uh, there were two trade routes that converged there in Philippi, making it really strategic for you know, ideas, for commerce, and yes, for the gospel. If you're going to get the gospel to other parts of the world, those important cities where there are trade routes that converge were really important centers for that. Paul's custom, I might, you might remember, as he goes to different towns to plant churches, he's got to start somewhere. And so Paul would go to the synagogue. He would go to the Jewish synagogue in every town, and he would begin to um, talk about Jesus, okay? So Christianity comes out of, out of Judaism. The Messiah, Jesus, was a Jewish Messiah. And so Paul was a Pharisee before, before he was the Apostle Paul. And so he's very familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. He's very familiar with those things that point to Jesus. And so for Paul, that was a natural starting point. Every town, I'm going to go to the Jewish synagogue. I'll begin to unpack the scriptures, tell them about Jesus. Many would believe, some would not. The problem when you get to Philippi is there's no synagogue. They don't have a Jewish synagogue. Apparently, there weren't enough Jewish men to have a synagogue. You had to have at least 10 Jewish men beyond the age of bar mitzvah, and there weren't enough in Philippi. But there was apparently a group of Jewish women that would gather down by the river to pray. They would gather down to pray. So Paul, we're going to read, he joins this group of women that are gathered there to pray, and he begins to uh, share the gospel with them and unpack the scriptures for them. And this is essentially the first group that hears the gospel in Europe. It's this group of women, okay? So I'll read this as uh, chapter 16 of Acts, beginning in verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Sumatras, and then the following day to Neapolis. And then from there to Philippi, which was a leading city in the district of Macedonia, and a Roman colony... And we remained in this city for some days. They were there for a while building, building the church. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. We sat down, we spoke to the women who had come together there. And then in verse 14, we're introduced to Lydia. She's only mentioned in a few verses, but we can learn a lot from her life in these few verses. Verse 14 says, One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God, well, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Then the only other place that Lydia is mentioned is the very last verse of chapter 16. So then at some point later, you have the story that I told last week, right? Paul and Silas, uh, they're, they're traveling and there's this uh, sort of demon-possessed, spirit-possessed slave girl that becomes really annoying and is hindering their work. So Paul sort of turns around and he casts this spirit out of her. And it's a, it's a great story, except that a lot of people got angry because the girl wasn't making her owners any more money. They arrest Paul and Silas, they strip them of their clothes, they beat them, they throw them in prison. Story last week, Right. Paul and Silas are chained to the wall in the dungeon. They begin to pray and sing hymns. Earthquake happens. The jailer and his whole family get saved. And then the last time we read about Lydia is in verse 40. In verse 40, it says this. And so they went out of the prison and they visited Lydia. They go back to her house. And when they had seen the brothers there, so the others that had placed their faith in Christ, they encouraged them and then departed. Literally, the whole church began to meet there at Lydia's house. So what, do we, what can we learn about, about this woman? Well, first of all, we, we, we know that she was apparently the first convert 
to Christianity there in, in Europe. And what's interesting is that, you know, Paul's trying to get the gospel into Europe and he goes to meet with a bunch of Jewish women at the river and then the first convert is neither European nor Jewish, right? Uh, Lydia was, uh, it says she was from Thyatira, which is a city in Asia Minor. So most likely this is an Asian businesswoman who happened to be there. She hears Paul and the gospel and again, places her faith in Jesus. We also know that a businesswoman, she was a seller of purple goods, it says. Um, So purple goods, purple fabrics, purple dye was very costly, very expensive. Um, In Philippi, there was a guild that made this. And so basically, uh, it was a very lucrative business and she was doing quite well, okay? Uh, People that wore the purple color would have been royalty or very wealthy people, okay? So she worked uh, in kind of an upscale business and we know that she's doing quite well because she has a house big enough to host the whole mission team, for some time, Paul, Silas, Timothy, uh, Luke, whoever else is with them. And then later in verse 40, we know that the whole church actually met in her home. The whole church met there. I don't know how many people that was, but I'm guessing it was quite a bit. So she has a very large house. Her business is doing quite well. She might've even been a woman that had another home back in Thyatira where she was from. We don't know. But she's a very, uh, apparently a very good businesswoman, and she's got uh, some means And then it also tells us in that short verse that she was a worshiper of God. So most likely, she's someone that was searching, questioning, looking for the real, the one true God. No doubt, these Jewish women that she was meeting with for prayer helped point her to Yahweh, and she had sort of began to understand that Yahweh, the God of Israel, is the one true God. The problem is she she had no idea about the person and work of Jesus. She had no idea about his death on the cross, and so Paul begins to unpack this for these ladies and and Lydia. You can just see her hanging on his every word. And she ultimately places her faith in Jesus as he unpacks the scriptures and talks about the Jewish Messiah. Here's the big idea and where I really want to sort of spend some time this morning on Lydia's life. As we read about her life in these short verses, Lydia was someone who lived with an open heart, an open home, and open hands. You might say that she responded with an open heart, an open home, and open hands. First of all, Lydia had an open heart. Her heart was open to what God wanted to do in her life. Now, when I talk about um, hearts being opened, I don't want to go too far down a theological rabbit hole here because I know there's some, there's some disagreement on some of this, but I don't, think, I don't think these ideas are mutually exclusive. Like the Bible says, the text actually says, God opened her heart God opened her heart to to pay attention to, to hear, to understand the Apostle Paul and what he was saying, all right? So I believe, we believe that God opens people's hearts, okay? That's the work of God. In fact, if we didn't believe that, we wouldn't pray for people, would we? Like, why would you pray for lost friends or family in your life if you didn't believe God could open their heart, God could soften their heart, right? That's what we pray for. If you have people around you in your life that don't know Jesus, hopefully you're praying for them, And what you're praying for is for God to do a work in their heart, right? God opens people's hearts. We read about Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul. He hated Christianity. He hated Jesus. He was a persecutor. And God, on the road to Damascus, changes his life, changes his heart, right? That's what God does. God changes people's hearts. However, that doesn't mean that that there's nothing we can do to sort of position ourselves or prepare our hearts to hear from God, right? There is some elements of human responsibility there, like, 
It says Lydia was a worshiper of God. So she was at a place where she was seeking after God and asking some questions. Whenever I think about this idea of the condition of someone's heart, and are they really ready to hear from the Lord? Are they really open to what God wants to do in their heart? I'm always reminded of the parable of the sower. You might remember that, Matthew chapter 13. I'll read it for you very quickly. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells this parable. It's called the parable of the sower. Here's how the parable goes. Verse three, he told them many things in parables saying, a sower or a farmer, he went out to sow or scatter some seed. And as he sowed the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and they devoured them. Well, then other seed fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. Immediately they sprang up since they, but since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched since they had no root. They withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns and the thorns grew and they choked them. And other seed fell on the good soil, produced grain, some a hundred, some 60, some 30 fold. And he who has ears, let him hear. Jesus then later explains the parable and I'll just kind of give you the, the synopsis is that when God's word is, is sort of scattered or sowed, it falls on different hearts, different ways. Some people's hearts are like the path. They're just hard. They're just hard. They don't, they're closed off to the things of God. You can hear the word all day. You can hear the gospel all day, but it just sort of bounces off your life. You're not in a place where you're ready to hear it and receive it. Other people are more like the rocky ground, right? You, you hear it and it sounds really good. You're really excited about it at first, but there's, there's just no roots, you haven't positioned yourself or prepared yourself. There's no, commun there's no discipleship pathway. There's, no, there's nothing to help you grow roots. And so after a while, it just kind of fades away, goes away. Other people are like the, the seed. Their life is like the, the thorny ground, right? Where you hear it again and you get excited about it and you're, you're like, yes, that sounds good. But then the stress and the anxiety and the cares of this world, the trivial pursuits of life begin to crowd it out. So pretty soon it's just... It's just gone. And then you finally, you have this, this fertile ground. It's the heart that is, that is ready and prepared and positioned to hear from God and to respond to God. That's Lydia, right? Lydia, her heart was like that fertile soil. She was a seeker of God. She had positioned, she had prepared, she had been searching. She was ready to hear the gospel. And so God opened her heart to hear because she was ready to hear. So here's the simple question, point number one, open heart, like, I know that when, whenever uh, we have a crowd this size, I I'm guessing among the people here and across all three of our services, we probably have a little bit of all those kinds of soil this morning, right? What's the condition of your heart? Where are you at? Are you someone that is open and receptive to what God wants to do in your life today? I think that's one of the first lessons from Lydia is that she had an open heart. She had an open heart. She was positioned and ready to hear from the Lord, and she was open to what God wanted to do in her life. The second thing then we see from Lydia is that she responded with an open home. Uh, this is all about hospitality. This is one of the ways that she responds is immediately, what does she do? You guys need a place to stay? Man, y'all need some food to eat? You guys come to my house. I got a big house. Why don't y'all come stay with me? She doesn't know them that well, right? She just invites them over to stay for apparently an indefinite period of time to just hey, why don't y'all come stay with me? She practices hospitality. You notice that? Like one of the ways that you'll notice that the gospel really begins to take root in people's lives is they begin to just live differently. They begin to practice hospitality and kindness towards others. 
I, I can just go through a lot of scripture with you, and we don't have a, a ton of time. I'll go through some of these really quick. Um, but you'll see that this is something that we're constantly in scripture challenged. God's people are challenged to be people who are hospitable towards others, okay? Over in Romans, Romans chapter 12, verse 13. Let me find my spot here. It simply says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Paul writes that to the church and the Christians there in Rome. Over in Titus chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, he's talking about the qualifications for elder or overseer in the church, requirements for leadership in the church. He says, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. Look at verse 8. But hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Right? One of the qualifications for leadership in the church is that you practice hospitality. Over in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. Hebrews 13, verse 2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And then one more over in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9, simply says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Over and over and over again in the New Testament, what you see is that when the gospel takes root in people's lives, they begin to just live lives of hospitality. In fact, even if you look back at some of the people in the Bible that Jesus encountered, they encounter Jesus, they respond with hospitality. Matthew was one of his first disciples. He was a tax collector. Nobody liked Matthew. Jesus walks along one day and he's like, follow me. And Matthew's like, sounds better than what I'm doing. Here we go. Close up shop. He begins to follow Jesus. And then what? The very next text, if you go read it, says that he, the first thing that he does is he basically throws a party for all of his low life friends that nobody liked. And Jesus is there. And this angers the religious people because they're like, why is he hanging out with, you know, all the tax collectors and sinners? They literally accuse Jesus of being a drunkard. And Jesus is like, look, I I didn't come to save the the saved. I I came to seek and save the lost, right? Matthew responds by just opening his house up and practicing hospitality. You read about a guy named Zacchaeus. Some of y'all know that story. We're not going to sing the song, but right? Climbs up in the sycamore tree, meets Jesus, seen. Jesus goes and hangs out at his house. Now, Jesus kind of invited himself, right? I'll give you that, right? I'm going to your house today. Okay. So, but but that's what Zacchaeus does. It's, It's Jesus, then it's like, Man, have a meal at my place, right? You read about the story of the Good Samaritan, one of the more popular parables Jesus ever told. A guy's traveling down the road, he's beaten up, falls into the hands of robbers, left for dead. A few people pass by that should have stopped, they didn't. And then a lowly despised Samaritan comes along. And it doesn't say that like, you know, he, he gave him a little water and put a Band-Aid on him and went on his way. It says that he took time to really care for the man. He, he put him on his, own, on his own donkey, horse, whatever, and he took him to an inn and he took care of him, it says. And then he paid money so that the, they could take care of him even further. And, and, and basically, if it was going to cost more, he would come back and pay even more. Like what you see is hospitality being extended. Some of Jesus' close friends, Mary, Martha, Lazarus in the Gospels, they're constantly opening up their home. Every time we read about them, they're, they're, all the disciples are like in their home having a big meal. Man, over and over and over again, when the gospel begins to take root in people's lives, one of the ways that people respond is by practicing hospitality. This is what Lydia does. Lydia literally, she hears the gospel. First thing she does is, man, y'all come to my place. I'll I'll make you some food. Y'all can stay here. It's just an open door kind of hospitality. Lydia lived with an open heart and she had an open home. 
And then finally, Lydia, she lived life with open hands. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we talked about Barnabas, right? We talked about Barnabas and how Barnabas were first introduced to him in Acts where he's basically selling a field, bringing all the proceeds and giving it to the church for those that had need. That's called living life with open hands, right? We talk about when you, when you see yourself as an owner, everything's mine, 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 mine. You can't have it. I earned it. It's mine. But again, when the gospel begins to take root in your life, we begin to see ourselves not as owners, but as stewards. Stewards can hold on to their stuff much more loosely than owners can, right? When you begin to recognize that everything in your life is a gift from him, it's not yours anyway. It's yours to steward. God has richly blessed you to steward that for the good and the blessing of other people. You can begin to hold on to your things a little more loosely. This is apparently what Lydia does. Lydia responds with open hands of generosity. They come to her house and they stay there a while, right? I don't know how long, but a while. Then the whole church begins to meet in her house. As people come to know the Lord, they're all meeting regularly in her home. Must have been a pretty good-sized house. And listen, those of you that host people in your homes on a regular basis, you can back me on this, but when you open up your home to people on a regular basis, guess what? Your grocery bill goes up, doesn't it? They tend to eat all your salsa, (laughs) drink all your drinks, right? I'm guessing if they brought kids, listen, Stuff got broken, stuff got lost, right? My wife and I, we we love to host people and that's just part of life, right? Part of life, man. If you're gonna practice hospitality well, if you're gonna practice generosity well, you can't be too like protective of your stuff. You gotta be able to go, hey, this this is all from the Lord. And Lydia just seemed to be a person that once she heard the gospel, she responded, open heart, open home, open hands. This is all God's stuff to begin with. She was very generous with her stuff. You're never going to be able to practice hospitality and generosity unless you can learn to live life with open hands. Whenever I think about these big ideas of of hospitality and generosity, I always go back to this uh, story Jesus told in Matthew 25. Matthew 25, Jesus is telling a a story here, um, and I'll read it for you. He's talking about the final judgment one day. One day, there's this final judgment that's going to take place, right? And he's talking about separating the sheep from the goats. What he's talking about is those that belong to the Lord from those that do not belong to the Lord. Some of y'all are familiar with the text, right? Listen Listen to what Jesus says here. Matthew 25, beginning in verse 31. He says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. And before him will be gathered all the nations, and he, will be, uh, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on the right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then listen to what happens in, in 35 and 36. Listen to what Jesus says. For I was hungry and you gave me food. And I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Now, I don't know about you, but that that all sounds a whole lot like hospitality and generosity being extended, doesn't it? Sounds a whole lot like hospitality and generosity. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? 
And the king will answer, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now, I know at first glance, this can sound a little bit like works-based righteousness, but it's not. Okay, Jesus isn't saying that you do all of these things in order to get in. Notice the order of what he says, right? He first separates them and he says, you who are blessed, blessed already, receive the inheritance prepared for you before the foundation of the world. And so what he's saying is, you're already in, right? You're already in. You're already my children, okay? You're already my children. In other words, the actions of verse 35 and 36, they are not qualifications to get in. The actions of verse 35 and 36 are things done as a result of the fact that you're already in. Are you with me? The, thing, the actions of 35 and 36, the, the hospitality and the generosity that is shown are, are results of the faith that is already possessed. You see, it's not, hey, if you feed people and if you practice hospitality and generosity, then God will love you. Then you'll be kind of let in. No, no, no. It's you're already children of God. Because of the faith you possess, it changes you in such a way where you begin to practice the hospitality and the generosity that we speak of. That's why, if you notice, they're shocked. The sheep are actually shocked by what Jesus is saying. They're like, when did, when did we see you hungry and give you food and thirsty? And give, like, when did we do that? In other words, they weren't cognitively doing those things so that God would love them. They're not even aware that they did it. That's just the way they lived because of the faith that was inside of them. We don't, we don't do these things so God will love us more. We do these things because he already does. He goes on from there and talks about, I mean, the rest of it's talking about the goats and the same thing happens to them. You can go on and read the rest of it there if you want, but basically, you know, he says, like, I was, I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was sick and in prison and you didn't come visit me. And, and they're like, when? What are, you, what are you talking about? When did we see you? And he's like, well, you, didn't, you just didn't live that way. You didn't live with hospitality and kindness and generosity towards others to anyone. Again, it's not about qualifications to get in. It's about how you respond once the gospel begins to penetrate your heart. You see, we're all born into this life um, selfish. We're just naturally sort of selfish people, right? If you don't believe me, you know, have children, right? I mean, kids are just born into this world just naturally. Mine, 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 that's mine. It's, you know, it's just it's everything. Your, your time, your money, your energy, it's all mine. Like, that's what kids do, right? They're just, and then sometimes as adults, we grow up into that, don't we? We still like mine and my rights and I demand my, you know, everything's mine. And the big idea is that, that once we meet Jesus, things should begin to change. And we begin to go from selfish to selfless. We, be, we begin to go from mine to I'm just a steward. We begin to live life much more with open hearts, open homes and open hands the way Lydia did. That's the way God wants his people to live. And it's not things we do so God will love us more. It's things we do as a result of the fact that he already does. That's the lesson of Lydia. Lydia teaches us how to respond to the gospel with an open heart. Whatever God wants to do in our lives, open homes of hospitality and open hands of generosity. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we're thankful today for this um, just amazing godly woman named Lydia who you used in some really powerful ways to get that, that church started in Philippi. God, that you blessed her um, richly and that she was able to in, in turn to bless others. And we're thankful for her life. And God, I know today as, as, we, as we talk about these things that your word sort of falls on hearts a little differently. 
I know there's some people here, God, whose heart right now is a little bit like the past. It's just, it's just hardened to the things of you. It's, it's sort of closed off to what you want to do. God, I pray that you would begin to sort of soften the soil a little bit in some of our hearts, that you would begin to help us to be open and receptive to the work you want to do in our lives. God, I know there's some people here whose heart is a lot like the rocky ground. They just need to begin to build some roots. So I pray today they might take whatever steps necessary to begin to grow some roots so that your word can stick. God, I know for some of us, our lives sometimes look a lot like the thorny ground where there's so much to be stressed out about and anxious about. There's so many cares of this world and trivial pursuits that just sort of overshadow your word. And so, Lord, I know for some of us, we just need grace that those things would not choke out our, our love for you. God, I pray that we would have hearts that are like that fertile soil, like Lydia, who are open and receptive to what you want to do. God, help us to live lives with open hearts, open homes, practicing hospitality to strangers, God, and then open hands of generosity. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen.